The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Well, good morning, chapel family. I'm glad you're here. If you're new, welcome. My name is Ryan, and I'm your pastor. And I just want to say thank you. Um, last week, you guys, so many of you showed me uh, so much love and support and prayer and kind messages. Um, I appreciate that. I needed that. I don't know that I would have gotten through last week um, without that. And now I am playing single dad for a while. My wife took two of my kids to California and left me with one. Uh, And so that's been fun. We've been doing dad-son things. It's really cool once you have three kids to go back down to one and realize how easy that was and how much you took it for granted. Um, So that's, that's my life right now. We are in the book of Ephesians this morning, chapter 2. We are in a series, if you are new, uh, called Know Who You Are. Today's I Am statements are these three things. Everyone say them after me. I am alive. I am am saved. saved. And here's one for all you hipster types. I am a work of art. Okay, just making sure you got that. So if you want to flip open to Ephesians chapter 2, this is arguably, well not arguably, I'll just say personally for me, there are two passages in the Bible that I think are the best. And and I think the whole Bible is the best, but if someone was like, hey, you're going to get stranded on an island and you can only take two passages with you, I would take Romans chapter 8 and I would probably take Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, which is where we are today. Uh, If you've never memorized scripture, I would encourage you strongly to memorize this section. And if you don't want to memorize 10 verses, I would encourage you strongly to at least memorize Ephesians chapter 8 or chapter 2 verses 8 to 10. These are things that will be a balm for your soul on weary days and remind you what you have in Jesus. So we're going to pray, we're going to get into God's word, and we're going to take communion. Does everyone have one of these? Everyone get the I don't know what these are called. I call them snack packs. You guys have your snack packs. You're going to need it during the sermon. So if you don't have one, they're back here. Uh, No one will judge you if you get up. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus, grab one just in case because I am believing on Jesus today to do some cool things in our lives. So let's pray and we'll open up God's word. Father, I thank you for the way that you love us. I thank you for your presence. Lord, I thank you that you're with us in our darkest moments. I thank you that you're with us in our most joyous times, regardless of whether or not we know you're there. I thank you that you are walking alongside some of us like footprints in the sand. And I thank you for the times when I've refused to walk and you've just drugged me and left a line along the coast. Lord, I've, um, I've been with you this week and thought through this passage, I pray that it would have the same effect on those here that it has on me. I pray that we would simultaneously see the condition of humanity and the radical love that you've given us in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. All God's kids said, amen. Ephesians chapter 2. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through this because I want us to feel the gravity of it, and then we're going to back up and go to the top and talk through this text this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to be reading through verses 1 to 10. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen behind me. 
This is Paul in prison writing to the church in Ephesus after he had told them all that they have in Jesus. He wants to lay out how this happened. Verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with Him and seated with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. May God bless the reading of his word. Man, this passage. It's the ultimate pessimistic outlook and then the best news that you've ever heard. Because the passage goes, you are dead and in dire need of something. And then God intervened. A few months ago, I preached a sermon And I told you we should all love it when we see the phrase, but God. And yes, I did, for those of you who were here, connected it to Sir Mix-a-Lot's song, I Like Big Butts and I Cannot Lie, because these butts, the B-U-T, not the rapper rear ends, are the life-changing moments for us. Because life can go one way, but when God intervenes, everything changes. When God intervenes, he brings life from death. Now, one of the the hazards of of working, or not hazards, but one of the realities of being a pastor is that you're around people a lot of times when they're at the end of their life. And this is something that I wish seminary would prepare you for a little bit better because the first time I went into a hospital room, the family was around. I didn't know what I was supposed to say. I just held the hand of an old man. And he was an attender at the church that I was a pastor at. And I held his hand, and I was in my 20s. And, and I just started saying scripture to him, trying to encourage him. Everyone was crying. The nurses and doctors came in and said, there's not much time left. You know, if you want to say anything, say it now. And it was the first time for me as a pastor that I was holding his hand. And he just exhaled, and that was it. Now, for those of you who have lost loved ones, you know that there's this moment. It's like the air gets sucked out of the room with their last exhale. And people oftentimes will will say he's gone. And and emotions, sometimes I've seen emotions shut down. I've seen emotions explode. But I'll never forget that first time because I was holding his hand and I was squeezing it. And this guy, he loved Jesus. So I knew, I was like, I'm so confident that he has the hope But it was the first time where I had seen somebody and just been with this family day after day after day, and then I was there, which doesn't always happen, but I was there when he went. And and you guys know I have this somewhat broken imagination. So I literally thought, I, I, I wonder if he's like here or like moving. Is it teleportation? So I start looking around, and the family's looking at me. 
because this is my first time. I'm, like, I'm a first timer, you guys. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if I'm going to see like a little bit of fog. This is in California, so if you see fog there, you know it's like something spiritual. It's not like Florida where fog just is all the time. So I'm looking around, and I'm holding his hand still. And his hand had not really loosened much, just a little bit. And I was gripping it tightly because I was like so freaked out as to what was going on. So then I start praying, and, and I'm thinking in my head, Lord, it would be so cool if I could see this guy's spirit go to you. Could you just show me what it's like? And you'll never believe what happened next. Nothing. Nothing happened next. I was still holding his hand. But I, I remember then, like, taking my hand out and putting his hand down and looking at, at the man, and, and I thought, this, this is a vacant house now. Dead. He cannot move. There's no breath. There's no brain cells firing. There's no lungs filling. There's nothing, not a twitch. So when Paul tells us, you were dead, I need you to understand that spiritually, when we start this thing off, we are that dead. Toast flatlined, no brain function spiritually. Our spiritual heart is stone. Our spiritual lungs are deflated. Our spiritual mind is not firing with anything. We are dead, following the way of this world. This is something that, that I think we don't grasp enough in our culture. Because we, we hear these sayings. You know, people will tell me and have told me over the years, Jesus and religion, it's just a crutch. It's a crutch for the weak, to which I usually just agree. Yes, it is a crutch. I am weak, because then they have no more bullets to shoot at you. But the more you read the Bible, the more you see, no, it's not that I am weak and I need a cane or I need crutches. It's that we were born dead, flatlined. We have the shell of a human existence, and we can still move around. Don't get me wrong. We can still have the capacity to create beauty. Because we were all made in the image of God. And this is the paradox. You were dead in the trespasses in which you once walked. The whole concept of the show Walking Dead, it's such a Bible ripoff. They just read the Bible and they're like, hey, have you guys read Ephesians 2, 1? Let's make a show about it. It's not original. The first zombies were pre the cinema era. If you read the story of when Jesus came back from the dead... It said that, that other people that were dead popped out of their graves like daisies and started walking around because the power of God was so there in that moment. Right now, there are people here in this room who have chosen to walk the course of the world, who have not yet had their eyes opened, as we talked about last week, have not yet had the heart, see, the heart eyes open to behold who God is, and we are walking around dead. There are people here who do not find joy in God, do not see truth in God. And you may be thinking, I'm not dead. I wake up every morning. I have my five strips of bacon, my seven over easy eggs. Well, you're almost dead. I, I, I wake up, I put on my clothes, I go to work. I'm not dead, I'm alive. Paul is talking about spiritual realities here. You were dead. You cannot grab God's hand. 
there are conflicting perspectives in Christianity as to what this means. Because we think, do I play a role in my salvation? And I'm going to say, yes, you play a role. Does God play a role in your salvation? Yes, God plays a role. Whose role is more important? God's role. Because you are dead in need of life. It wasn't that you were reaching out to God. It's that God reached down and woke you up. Have you ever woken up uh, someone you love with a kiss on the cheek? I, I, love, I love this. I love when it gets done to me. Actually, uh, Silas, he's my favorite son because he's the only one here right now, so I could say that. Um, he, he literally loves me so much that he didn't want to go to California with my wife. We said, hey, oh, buddy, we're gonna go, they're going to go to California, visit grandma and grandpa and the cousins. Do you want to go? Who's all going? And Silas is like, not me. I'm staying here with daddy. And he's so sweet. If you see him, he's easily my cutest kid by a wide margin. And, uh, and, and he comes up to me in the morning, and, and uh, I, I take naps from time to time. And he has this thing. I don't know who taught him this. I don't know if Amy does this, and I never realize it. But if I fall asleep on the couch and he wants something, he doesn't just yell at me. Like, that's what my other kid, Jackson, does. He's a teenager trapped in a kid's body. He's just like, Dad, give me something. But Silas will come up to me, and if I'm sleeping, he'll put a, a little hand. He's got the tiniest little hands. He'll put them on my chest. And then he'll kiss me right back forehead. Boink. I love you, Daddy. And I'll wake up like this. Am I in heaven? <laughs> and, and just so we're clear, like, when I'm out, I'm out. I'm a professional sleeper. My, my wife would try to arouse me when, when our kids needed to be fed in the middle of the night. And sometimes I would get up, but I'm also a sleepwalker. So the next morning she'd be like, oh, thanks for feeding the kids last night. And I'd be like, no problem. I'm just going to go check and see if there's a dirty bottle somewhere. Otherwise my kids are starving. So that moment when Silas kisses me, I don't know what it is. It's, they kiss me right in the forehead, and I just like wake up with the happiest smile doesn't matter what's gone on, the world is right. Now, our spiritual condition is dead. But God comes into our life like a loving father, puts his hand on your shoulder, and kisses you, and wakes you up. says, I'm here. But we weren't just sleeping. We weren't just napping. We weren't just there. We weren't saying, God, please come, please come. We were doing nothing toward God when God came toward us. Salvation is God coming at you that has nothing to do with you, which is why there are messed up people in churches, or at least why there should be. Because God is not looking and grading us on a curve. He's not saying, okay, if you make this much money, or you're this kind, or you're, you've got this background, or you raise your kids this way, then I will accept you. But so often we act that way. So often we pretend that if we're doing just enough, then God will come in and assist our lives. Paul makes it very clear that we dead. We were following the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We need God to intervene. We need him to intervene like a defibrillator. We don't need just crutches and canes. We need resurrection. And that's what he brings to us. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, while we were dead, in our trespasses, when we were dead, made us alive. Now, some of you are not very alive. I'm just going to go out there and say it. Uh, I know we're not supposed to judge people as followers of Jesus, but I judge people all the time. I need help. Um, it's something that I'm working on, especially this past week, uh, with things that I had talked about in last week's sermon. This week has been 
extremely rough for me still. Uh, people are asking me how I'm doing. I'm not a huge fan of the lying thing where you say, hey, how's it going? And you're, everyone's like, great, having the greatest time. When on the inside you just feel like you're like weak old pizza that's been drying out in the fridge. That's me. And uh, so people have been asking me, hey, how are you doing today? And I just say mediocre. Now mediocre, like I'm still being fairly generous, but you should see people's faces when you answer somewhat honestly. Because everyone just says, hey, how are you doing? And you say, I'm good. I'm good. I even said it in Spanish today. Uh, one of our Cubans here said, hey, Pastor Ryan, how are you doing? And I said, oh, that's a terrible Spanish uh, or Cuban accent. And I said, oh, I see, I see, which means okay, right? Is that what that means? Yeah? And you could see her to say like, oh. I, I didn't say like muy bueno. I didn't say muy mal. I just said, I see, I see. Here's why I'm only doing okay. Because I'm forgetting verse 4. All last week, from Wednesday before, uh, two Wednesdays ago to today, I'm forgetting verse 4. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And here's the word, by grace you have been saved. Grace is free gift. I have grace written right here. It means getting what you don't deserve. I have mercy right here. It means not getting what you do deserve. The other word of this trio is justice, which means getting exactly what you deserve, which is why I didn't tattoo it on me, because I don't want what I deserve, because I was dead in my trespasses, because I sin a lot, because as a pastor, the last week and a half, I've been struggling my brains and my soul out to trust people and to love people. Because I haven't been seeing how much God loved me. Because I haven't been soaking in the reality that I was dead, nasty, decaying. And God said, I love you so much I'm going to make you alive. And he made me alive. And here's the miraculous part of this. In in this passage, everything is past tense. We once walked a certain way. We once followed the path of darkness. We once were going down the broad way. And now, he made us, past tense, alive. Past tense, by grace, you have been saved. Verse 6, and he raised us up, past tense. We are already raised up with Jesus. And seated, past tense, seated us with Jesus in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So here's what we need to get to. We need to understand the fact that the realities of our lives are sealed. Signed, sealed, delivered. Done. Jesus did it. You can't improve upon it. Every time you try to add something to Jesus, you're actually taking away from him. The only way to be made right with God is to come to him and say, I'm dead. I need life. And then once you have life, here's what you need to do next. Keep living in the midst of where he's put you. Somebody, and people often say this to me, well, Pastor Ryan, if salvation is this free, can't I just grab the ticket, get my punch card, and just roll on in? I hear this all the time. Won't I just sin then since I'm already saved and loved? I don't think so. Actually, quite the opposite happens. The more you understand how much God has loved you, the more you live for him. I I used this illustration recently 
Because somebody asked me at the Band of Brothers, we meet over at Cool Beans. Don't tell my foundation friends. They're already mad at me. But they have AC at Cool Beans, so they can't judge me too harshly. We meet over there on Saturday mornings, a group of guys. Sorry, gals, you're not welcome. And um, even in this era of gender fluidity, only guys. Um, we meet there, and, and a guy said, well, won't we just sin if it's all free? I said, no. Imagine this. Imagine if your son was running out into the street, like all sons and daughters do, and this truck was just barreling down. It was going to get him. And some person heroically runs out, Superman dive, grabs your son, takes him out of the way of the truck, but in the midst of that, has his legs just ripped off, just mangled, paralyzed. Are you going to go up to that guy and be like, oh, thanks so much for saving uh, my kid. Uh, Thanks, see ya. Are you going to go follow up with that guy? If that guy says, hey, I need a ride a month later. I need a ride. Can you give me a ride? Are you going to be like, no, no, no. I'm not going to give you a ride for saving my child. No, what would you do? You'd give the guy a ride. I'd give the guy my car if I could, if he could drive. I would give him a ride. I would give him meals. I would give him gift cards. I would give him hugs. I would kiss the dude for saving my kid. I would want to love him because of the sacrifice he made. Now, we have a very weird culture we live in because um, we get stuff. We get free gifts from time to time. Grace means a free gift. We get free gifts. You go to a, a baseball game. They may give you some towels, some hats. You go, to, you go to different events. They may give you free books, free stuff. Now, that stuff is great, but it's, it's not life-changing. For the parents in the room, um, I love when my kids get the little birthday gift bags for about 10 minutes. The reason I love it for 10 minutes is because they're occupied with the gift bags. The reason I hate it is because I've got about 7,000 bouncy balls at my house now. The reason it's hard is because now I've got all this junk. I've got cars. I've got spinny tops. I've got bouncy balls. I've got little kazoos, which are like the bane of my existence. And guess what? My kids, they play with things for 10 minutes, and then what do they do? They want something else because those gifts aren't life-changing. Unless you see the darkness and the depths of your need for spiritual rebirth, God's salvation will not be life-changing. His grace will not impress you. The problem with the church today is not that we don't talk about grace uh, enough. Or it's, it's, the problem with the church today is that we don't talk about grace enough. We give people grace just to get saved, but we don't drive it down into their hearts until they see the absolute train wrecks that they were. And you may be thinking, I am not a train wreck. I am a good person. And I will give you some credit. Some of you are halfway decent people some of the time. But most of you are not super decent people all the time. You forget, some of you, I can tell that we are friends on Facebook. Some of you forget it. Or you just don't care, which I really appreciate, actually. Because it's honesty. Once you realize that if for one moment, all of your, if all of your thoughts and motives were just displayed for the world to see, once you realize that you're in such a place where you would probably have no friends, and I'm not going to speak for you, I'll speak for me, if all of my motives and all of my attitudes were just broadcast, closed caption on a widescreen TV above my head, I probably wouldn't have friends. And I, I think I do an okay job at believing in Jesus and loving others, except for the last week and a half. Because now what's happened is, for me, 
I'm not thinking enough about how much Jesus loves me. So if you followed my TV around this past week, I had zero trust and love for people. When one of the closest people in my life other than my wife has done what he did, I walked around all last week questioning everybody, questioning motives, being what I've affectionately come to call here at the chapel, Judgy McJudgerson. I would look at people and say, I don't even want to be near them. People would say, hey, do you want to come to my house? No. Do you want to hang out? No. How many times did you ask to hang out last week? Like 75? I said, no. I just want to sit in my house, close off the world, and not love people. And that's really problematic when your job title is go love people. God's like, go love people. It's your job. And I'm like, no, go away, God. God's omnipresent, for those of you who are new to church, which means he doesn't go away. He just sits there and smiles. I don't think like a sarcastic, mean smile, like a, well, maybe sometimes. So when you realize how broken you are, and if I, have a, um, as a pastor, can be broken, I need you to know that, that anyone can be broken. I know that we're in the South. There's this vision of super pastors. We have it all together. I don't care where you go to church. You go to any church within a three billion mile radius. The pastor is equally as broken as you are, equally as in need of Jesus as you are. The only reason that we appear to have it all together is because our paychecks depend on us pretending that we're okay with all of the stuff that Christians think is bad. But sin creeps in. Now, I will tell you, God has brought me through things because he brought me to life and he's changed the way that I live. He's taken things away from me without me even asking. He's walked with me through sins without me even asking him to do that. But he has, because when you are alive in Christ, you are with him, past tense. So all of the Christian life is learning to be who we actually are. But man, you know what sins I can get away with as a pastor? I can be prideful. I can be self-selfish. This week I could be unloving. I could judge people as long as I don't judge publicly. Uh, I can gossip because everyone in church can gossip. We just call that prayer circles. I can overeat because my metabolism is a little bit faster. And nobody's going to be like, oh, Pastor Ryan, you're a glutton. It's because I'm six foot six. I'd have to literally eat a Mack truck full of cheese pizza for it to be noticeable. But I, I assure you that I struggle with gluttony. My close friends here know that I can throw down. You take me to sushi, it's destruction. And it's totally sinful. In the Bible, it's like murder, drunkenness, gluttony. But as Americans, we're like, meh. Really? Something in the same list is murder? Because if some of you in here were murdering people but eating well, I'd be like, you are the worst as I'm stuffing down half a pizza. I can do all these sins. As a pastor, it's the weirdest thing here in the South. All you have to do for job security is not cuss very often and be nice and don't do anything morally heinous. But I want you to know that life, when it hits you, will sometimes rob all of us from believing how radical this is. That we were dead at the bottom of the barrel, the scum, the darkness, that stuff that grows on Florida ponds after it hasn't rained for months, that's us. And God said, I'm making life come out of it. 
And God, by grace, saved us. And here's the verse you have to memorize. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, this being saved by grace through faith, all that sentence is not your own doing. Everyone say, not me. Okay. Now, if you grew up in certain church traditions, you might be offended by this. I just need to let you know, I can't see another way of interpreting that verse. The free gift of God through faith, and this free gift of God through your faith, your trust, your belief, this is not even your own doing. God doesn't even want to let you lean on just your faith. Now, we have faith, but it says in the very next part, this is not your undoing. It, this whole phrase, saved by grace through faith, is a gift of God. So even your faith to believe is God's gift to you. You didn't muster up the spiritual IQ or EQ to embrace God. He gave it to you so that you would have the capacity to do so. For we are his workmanship. He, cre- he saved us so that we, no one can boast because we are his workmanship. I love that word for um, workmanship. It is a poema, where we get the word poem. We are God's poem. God is writing a poem with your life. Some of you are a nasty haiku. Some of you are a Will Shakespeare tragedy. Some of you are in the midst of the most beautiful love story with God. All of us have all of those components as he's writing the poema of our lives. And it's his work, not ours. It's what he is doing, not what we are doing. And this is what I I don't understand about Christians, is that we in our culture are so addicted to boasting. We want to take credit. We're credit addicts. We love it when we can say, I did it. And part of it is wired into our westernized culture and civilization. We admire people who can pull themselves up. And, And I think it's great. Pull yourselves up. Work hard. You should outwork everybody. Just work as hard as you can because Jesus is your boss. That's what the Bible says. That's a a rough paraphrase from the Greek. Jesus is your boss. Work harder than everybody. But in regards to spirituality, when we come to God, we don't have a boasting leg to stand on. We can't say, God, I made the right decision. God, I did it. God, I was so good. God, I only sinned in ways that were inside of me. God, I only gossiped and was a glutton and judged people harshly. I didn't murder people. I didn't kill anybody. I didn't have sex before marriage. God, I did all of the outside rules. No. Our stance before God is, God, I brought nothing and you gave me everything. God, I was dead and you gave me life. This is... um, This is what the Bible is all about at the core. I mean, if you come every week, you know that I'm always going to get to Jesus. But at the core, this verse is that God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him we might become righteousness. It's a great swap. I can't tell you this week, um, I can't tell you uh, what, what it'll be in the weeks to come. I can tell you this, the last two weeks, I've not wanted to preach. I've not wanted to do my job. My prayer has felt like it was just bouncing off a wall back into my face. Um, My friend, who is uh, in in prison right now, he was jailed uh, before last Sunday. His daughter got married yesterday. And um, and I, I read this whole passage this week, one of my favorite passages, and I kept telling God, God, why would... Why would this happen? 
I don't feel like loving my friends. But God said, I felt like loving you. I told God about a hundred times this week, thanks God for making my favorite passage in the Bible on a week where I'm just an emotional wreck. And he said, you're welcome. Because there's a phrase that is often repeated, but not understood to its depths. My grace is sufficient for you. Until you understand how free it is, none of this stuff that we're doing makes any sense. Until you understand that in the midst of your darkest days, you have been alive with Christ, made alive, you were seated with Jesus. Until you realize that in the darkest moment of your darkest, ugliest, nastiest sin, if you are in Jesus, God looks at you and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Just like on the day where you lead 300 people to Jesus, prayed for 27 out of 24 hours, tithed 100% of your checking account, God says, well done, good and faithful servant. Just like when you're on your way to chapel on Sunday morning, you don't even want to talk to your spouse. You detest your children. You get out of the car muttering curses. God says, if you're in Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. The key is in Jesus. Last week we talked about how you know if you're in Jesus. This week I'm just going to say, do you have the gift? If you have the gift, you'll be living for the maker. You don't live for the maker to get the gift. You get the gift and then you live for him. He dove in front of not a Mack truck but a cross that you deserved and died. And that's what we're going to do today. Uh, so these uh, little pack and plays, you guys literally, uh, these are the worst way to do communion. There's a little clear thing you take up, but I wanted to do it all at the same time. And here's what I want to do. Jesus came to give us life. When he was with his best friends around the table, he said, this, is, this, this bread is my body. It's given for you. And they would have all been reclining around a table and taken it, and they would have eaten it together. Now, if you don't know Jesus, this ritual seems weird. If you grew up in a different tradition, if you grew up in a tradition where you maybe had to come to the front and a priest had to give this to you, what we're doing may seem weird. But I wanted to, to give us an opportunity as a family, because we are a family. We're not church friends. We're not church acquaintances. We're church family. And sometimes we're not super great at it. But I wanted us to, with this little symbol, say, I'm trusting Jesus for all of my life today, together. If you don't believe in Jesus, just hold your cup and, and think about the good news of Jesus. Think about the fact that he died for you. Whether you want to embrace this right now, and, and don't ask me how it works because I don't know all the ins and outs. I've read the Bible a lot of times. Here's what I do know. God picked you, gave you the gift, gave you faith to see, kissed your forehead, brought you to life, and somehow we've, we play a role in that. But it's not the main role. We're not the main character. We're the secondary character. This is to remind us that there's a main character. We're a B-roll character walking through the background of the epic film called Life and the Human Experience. 
This is to remember that without Jesus, we have no life. Without the breaking of his body, we are not made right with God. We are not given grace. Grace came through him and him alone. So as we take this today, before we do, I want us to do something, and I don't know if this will work or not. Um, If God has done something in your life, if God has given you freedom lately, I just want you to tell the chapel family what it is. What it is that you are thankful for that God has done in your life or that God has given you. So it's a, so we don't blow it theologically, I'm going to say we are thankful that Jesus died on the cross. I am thankful that Jesus died on the cross for me and for my friend and for his kids. That's what I'm thankful for this week. What are you guys thankful for? Don't be shy. We're family. Your husband. Yeah, says the newlywed. <laughs> what else are you guys thankful for that Jesus gave you? Jesus gave you a car. He did. He did. Well, you had to pay a dollar for it. That's not grace. Grace would have been free. Oh, it's free? That's grace. I want her friends to be my friends. Financial stability. That's something to be thankful for. Although sometimes I like financial instability because then I believe more. Health. Yeah. Because back surgery is no fun, right? You can walk. What else are you guys thankful for that Jesus has given you? Did it echo in here? (laughs) Family. If you didn't say family and you're a husband, you missed your chance for free points. That was supposed to be like a family, 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 family. When she said husband, why didn't all the wives be like, yeah, my man? I don't know. What else? What was that? Peaceful patience? Incredible patience. Patience. Man, who's thankful for patience? You're right, I would be. What else are you guys thankful for? Freedom to come here. Yeah, isn't it weird that uh, there's a Christian genocide going on and it barely ever scratches the BBC news? Weird. We get to come here and literally like drink coffee. We have air conditioning. We have people watching our kids and teaching them about Jesus. We have VBS going on this week. And chances are very likely that it will be safe, mostly because we're in Florida, and I have no idea how many of you have guns on you right now. It terrifies the Californian in me. I'm like, ah, I just want to kale salad in safe spaces. Not really. I'm, I'm thankful to come here. That Jesus would create a, a, a space for us to do that, a country for us, a building for us. What else are we thankful for? I'm thankful that I'm vertical. Okay, peace. And here's what I want us to do. We've said what we're thankful for. Take this moment. I'm going to give you 30 seconds of silence. Confess your sins. God, I was dead. Whatever they are. You don't have to get specific. You don't have to be out loud. But close your eyes, take a moment and confess, and then I'll have us all take the bread together.
Father, I confess. I confess for the times I don't trust you. Lord, we confess for the times that we don't trust you. We confess for the times we don't see you for the person you are and how you love us. Father, I confess for the times I doubt you. Lord, we take this bread to remember that Jesus is our source of life and that he was broken for us. Let's eat together. Now the cup, the forgiveness of sins. If you're new, I, I do this rant every time we do communion with these little cups. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. But I promise you, you have sinned more than there is juice in that cup. So if I were to break this down, for those of you who are the geeky science types, um, you have sinned more times than the number of molecules in this cup. Jesus had to die for you. So we've confessed. We've embraced Jesus for our life. Let us now drink together giving thanks for the shedding of his blood for the forgiveness of our sins.